If you live in the South Metro area and have been looking for top-notch customer service, extensive beer, wine, and spirit selections, and unbeatable prices, look no further than Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. You won't find a more varied inventory anywhere else. Don't just take it from me, guys. This is Michael, and he's been shopping at Davidson's since they opened. The thing I like about Davidson's versus the competitors, it has a larger selection. And if I am going to buy Spirit, then Davidson's is usually my first choice as well because just of the size of the selection. I also like the extensive selection of some hard-to-find items. But that's not all. Every department is staffed with highly trained specialists who can help you find exactly what you're looking for. I've always found the folks that you chat with to be knowledgeable. I've chatted with the spirit staff about different bourbons and different vodkas, and I am always chatting with the wine staff about different things and saying, I like this, what else do you have that's similar? Particularly when I go to non-U.S. wines, I find them extremely helpful and helping me find something I'm looking for. What are you waiting for? Head to either of their locations in Centennial or Highlands Ranch and follow them on Facebook to stay up to date on their latest specials. Welcome in to the BSN Rockies podcast. It really wasn't talked about back then when I was in middle school and high school about pitching at elevation. The majority of the staff, I think, except for Marquez, we all came through the system of the Rockies. And you can see that this was installed a long time ago. We're going to put a team on the field that's that's going to hit and play defense well, but also have a, a group of pitchers that know what it takes to pitch at this level and also you know, pitching at Coors with everything that goes along with that, with the you know, altitude and everything. It's very special. And we pride ourselves on it. And once I actually got off the family plan, I actually texted him, hey, I got my own phone bill. And he's like, it's about time. <laughs> so it was a pretty good one. Did you have a gold love before you were on your own phone plan? Um, Yeah, I did. I did. I, did. <laughs> I got brought in with runner at second, and I walked the eight, nine hole guys um, who I faced in AAA earlier that year. And then all of a sudden, Derek Jeter comes over with bases loaded. And I'm like, oh, man, what do I do? But I started him off the breaking ball, actually, for a strike. And I ended up oh, striking him out. So. <laughs> what, do I, what do I do? I'll surprise him. <laughs> and now, your host, Drew Priestman. Welcome into the BSN Rockies podcast presented by The Green Solution. Visit any one of their 17 Colorado locations or browse their entire inventory online at mygreensolution.com. Reserve products online and pick up at your local TGS Express checkout. You'll be in and out in minutes. Use code BSN20 for 20% off your entire purchase. Now, let's jump into the show. All right, on today's episode, we've got to get into the details of the last couple of pretty strange games between the Colorado Rockies and the Los Angeles Dodgers, recording this just ahead of the rubber match on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, we'll start with the good one and and then go to the one that's maybe a bit more on people's minds and the frustrations about Kyle Freeland. But we'll get to that. Let, let's start with the game before and what we saw particularly out of John Gray and what was probably the best pitched game of the season for the Colorado Rockies outside of Herman Marquez's flirting with a no-hitter in San Francisco. And if you take into account the quality of the Giants lineup and the ballpark that game was pitched in and take a look at the quality of the Dodgers lineup and the ballpark and the way it's been playing that John Gray pitched in and and really if you wanted to get super nuanced you could take a look at some 
of the stuff that went on in the last couple of innings and say he quite easily could have gotten through that game without a run scoring even but uh, still quite the performance from John Gray eight innings one run given up in that eighth inning they had to kind of scratch it out and the game was no longer close at that point but uh, and and the interesting thing to me about it was it wasn't even extreme domination I believe he only had five strikeouts I was trying to pull up the stat line in front of me but three walks and it was two walks that came early on that I think really jolted him back into his focus and it was so completely the opposite of what we saw a year ago when when a, a an inning opening with a pair of walks to the heart of the Dodgers order would have then led to a single and then a double in the gap and then another walk and you know things would have gotten really out of hand but instead what happened was John came back and he struck out the side and that really uh, locked him in and from there on he was very efficient with his pitches like I said was almost able to go go you know I think he went into the sixth inning he was still sitting around 80 pitches but the Dodgers made him through throw a bit more in the seventh and eighth in particular there was an at-bat where he had trouble putting A.J. Pollock away uh, and ended up, I believe, walking him, and, and that extended his pitch count a little bit. And from from my vantage point, that was where he was starting to lose his command a little bit, and when he, you could start to see that he was tiring out and what prevented him from being able to go the distance. But he really was probably that one at bat if he doesn't you know walk him on, I think it was the 10th or the 11th pitch, if he could have gotten him out in four or five there move into the next inning if he gives up the run or not I think he gives you a complete game at Coors Field which after everything we've seen this year is practically superhuman again the run scoring or not and and it was a leadoff double that wasn't hit especially hard but it was right down the line and then a couple of ground balls to first base to get him in so uh, again it's just the sequencing there he really was not hit hard in the game by a team that can hit the ball really, really hard. We saw what they did the next day against Kyle Freeland. So I think really uh, last night, or, or I'm sorry, two nights ago, was the cherry on the Sunday for the season that John Gray has put together, especially if the team you know, continues to, to not really be competitive here down the stretch if they don't go on some dramatic turnaround here. One of the things you can hang your hat on this season as a positive uh, moving forward is clearly John Gray. And, you know, the Dodgers are out here trying to compete just as well, like maybe a little bit of a trap game for him. But and he, he came out for blood. They're still trying to win games, too. You saw the way they responded. So I, I think you've really got to recognize the strides that John has made from a season ago. And recognize that this season also represents a gigantic step forward for him into becoming I think a very reliable major league starter and he's going to be for a little while that's why it's so funny to see his name bandied about in some of the trade rumor speculation I get it why people out there who aren't really associated with the Rockies or don't follow this team every day would say well he's a starting pitcher with a lot of value some teams out there would want him but it's like the guy's finally gone through all of the fire and come out the other end of it. They're still waiting to see if Kyle Freeland or if Herman Marquez can come out the other end of the fires that they've gone through. But they have this guy who's still in his 20s, who's been through it all now. He's the one pitcher in baseball who isn't, well, Freeland's not scared of Coors Field. His, his problems are located elsewhere. But John Gray is not in any way, shape, or form scared to take the ball at Coors Field against the very best lineup in baseball and dominate. 
That's a guy you build your rotation around for as long as you possibly can. That's a guy I would sign an extension to, given what we have seen out of him this season. That might be top priority, uh, maybe even over Trevor Story, who I know a lot of people are, are looking at that. And it's going to be costly either way with Trevor Story uh, because John Gray's numbers don't totally blow you away. I think you might be able to get a, a slightly more reasonable deal there. But I would be very seriously looking at an extension for precisely this reason, to build around him, to show any young pitchers coming up, coming through, or anyone that you acquire, like, you think you've been through it? You think Coors Field has chewed you up and spit you out? Look what it did to John Gray in 2018. Look at what he was doing before, and look what he's done since. Look what he's been able to accomplish coming out on the other side of it, really becoming the most consistent pitcher in the Rockies uh, organization this year, and capped it off with an eight-inning performance. He'd gone seven a bunch of times this year, but the eight innings was the most he had gone. And I think it's just indicative of how far he's come and, again, what the Rockies should be building around. And then, of course, they, they gave him a nice spot there. I thought the, the best thing about the offense in that first game was that the explosion did come in the one inning where they were able to jump out and get five runs and, and sort of start putting that thing away. But they got their run early. They were able to get the Ian Desmond triple and Rymal Tapia single through the right side, which gave them the one nothing lead that John Gray then protected extraordinarily well. And because of that early run, it, it, I think, allowed the Rockies to play with a, li- a bit more looseness and a bit more confidence because you never know when those big hits are going to come. But then, of course, you saw a lot of, I think, sort of statistical karma after that tough series with the Reds where they went one for 20 with runners in scoring position over the last couple of games. They go out there. They finally get a bunch of hits with runners on base. Uh, it started with David Dahl throwing a single out the other way. But the and, and then obviously the big ones were Nolan Arenado coming up with a single uh, just over the second baseman's head. And then you had Ryan McMahon pulling a double down the right field line. And it was just a feel-good inning for the Rockies. And you, you finally saw them having a little bit of fun out there, smiling, enjoying the fact that they were playing a winning brand of baseball because the guy on the hill was shoving. And they go out there. They get some clutch hits. They put up a big number. They're up 6 nothing. Then they got some more insurance end up winning the game 9-1. to one. Uh, A great at-bat from Yonder Alonso, late, drawn a walk, by the way. He continues to look fantastic at the plate, uh, honestly, ever since coming up for the Rockies. And then David Dahl with a moonshot home run as part of the insurance there late. But, uh, again, I, I think you saw an offense that was a lot more confident and comfortable in what they were able to do. And even to move it, uh, transition us into the second game, while they were only able to put up four runs on the board, ultimately, again, you saw them battle. Even with Freeland really struggling, getting down early, they battle back in it. They made it a 7-3 game at one point before Chad Bettis came in and gave up the home run to Justin Turner. But they had chances throughout the game. And, again, that's one of those. If they would gotten the start that John Gray gave them the night before, they win that game if they go out and put up the four runs that they did. They they did the right thing with Julio Urias and waiting him out, forcing him out of the game early. He wasn't able to, even able to complete three innings. They had a tougher time getting after the relievers, but they were able to put a little bit of a run together there and put some runs on the board, and that's what you need to be able to do. So 
again, I think these last couple of games show you the formula the Rockies have to get back to. And they know that. It's not that they've ever purposefully gotten away from it. They didn't know that Kyle Friedland was going to have this kind of year. He didn't know. Nobody knew. You could have been expecting some regression, but nobody knew that it was going to be quite like this. And as such, I, you know, I, I think it's fair to say there's a gigantic question mark there. We saw it again. He got absolutely knocked around. Uh, he just wasn't hitting his spots. And it, it's tough to say he was scratching his head as much as anybody else after the game, why that's the case, why he was unable to hit his spots. But that was the difference between in Cincinnati when he was good and yesterday when he got absolutely rocked. And you can just watch the catcher behind the plate, see how much he moves his glove when the ball is on its way to the plate. And last night, Ionetta was doing a whole lot of reaching across his body, reaching up for balls that weren't finding the spot that they needed to. And they're getting hit hard. This lineup's going to hit mistakes. There were a handful of tough luck situations that Cody Bellinger single up the middle off the bat in the first inning was tough. And then, and then obviously the error from Trevor Story, that's out of his hands. And it does feel like when Freeland starts go against him they start really going against him with things that are also out of his control we all remember the game with the three hits under 60 miles an hour in one inning but the fact of the matter is that he's making way way too many mistakes and we can't be 100 percent sure and you know he he has said it's not a mechanical thing uh, i believe him at this point i think whatever mechanical issues that were there earlier in the season have been addressed and i don't think it's a mental thing at least in terms of him hanging his head or him being defeated or or anything like that there's just sometimes you're just off and he's having a just off type of season and he kind of talked about that last night how he felt like it's just one of those years where every time he, he thinks he's starting to get the hang of it he, he makes the big mistake and that that's part of the learning process for a young player we've seen a lot of guys go through this and I do think Freeland's going to come out the other side of it but I, I think it's probably still going to continue to be up and down throughout the remainder of the year much like it was with John Gray last year if you'll recall when he went down to triple a as he was doing so poorly he came back up he had a string of four maybe five starts where he looked really good and then he completely fell apart again for the end of the season and it wasn't until he was able to take that complete step back in the off season go get some workouts in go talk to some people clear his mind a little bit take some time off and then get back at it that he was really able to attack it and turn himself into the pitcher that he is now and i, I think kyle freeland has just as much of the ability and the mentality and the skill set and the want to to be able to make all of that happen it just is too bad from the perspective of everybody involved here that it is the biggest thing that has cost the rockies this season is that he just hasn't had it uh and, and then there have also been obviously times where marquez hasn't had it and and that's piled on and, and we've talked about the way the defense hasn't helped them out in these regards there have been other things that have made that problem that much worse but that's why I do find myself getting a little bit combative lately around the trade deadline whenever people want to talk about yeah well and I even look I just wrote 2,000 words on why I do think a lot of it comes down to the role players and they need to get better role players and they need to move out some of these vets and go look for some different ones and I get all of that and I get frustrations over them losing DJ LeMayhew or Adam Ottavino, I, I understand all of that. But ultimately, it's all window dressing. 
that's all a side conversation that needs to be had, but the Rockies aren't competing this year. The Rockies won 91 games last year with a lot of those exact same problems. The reason the Rockies aren't good this year isn't because of, and I, and I saw this, so I, I, I do have to mention it because we were talking about it on Twitter, Dan Zimborski talking. It's not because the Rockies don't trust analytics. They do. They have a great analytics team here, and they've really invested heavily in it, and there are times in which they've gone a little too far in the analytics uh, department in terms of like overshifting at times. And they've been very organic in how they've dealt with that, but they're very much not the old fuddy duddy team that some people still seem to think that they are. And they never really were by the way there there's, they are very much an analytic team, but and we could point to all of these other things. There's a lot of stuff on the sides, a few more extra bullpen arms. Yeah, if they had spent money on someone else instead of Desmond or McGee or any of these guys, you can make all those arguments, and it's all true. But the fact is that this team went from a 91-win team to a whatever they're going to win, high 70s probably, maybe 80 if, they're, if they can turn it around and get a positive momentum. Maybe they can be a 500 team here. But because they're two best pitchers, stopped being good one of them is having a really 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 bad year in Kyle Freeland and the other in Marquez has just had some really really bad stretches that you couldn't handle because Freeland was having a really bad year and I hate to put it all on two 24 year olds that's not fair either in a sport that takes all nine guys or all 25 guys however you want to, even all 40 guys you want to look at it that way but that is by far the biggest factor. T- ten times more than any Ian Desmond or Jake McGee or, or well, maybe not Wade Davis. We can get into the Wade Davis conversation. That's because because when your closers blowing games like that, that's a huge, huge thing. So I'll leave him out of the conversation. But other than that, th- this season has been about Freeland and Marquez. And so a lot of the rest of this conversation is just making noise about something that we're, we're still trying to figure out how these 24-year-olds are going to adapt. So I'll take the first commercial break here, come back on the other side of it, and keep talking at your ears. Hey, before I send it to commercial here, I also wanted to make sure to shout out all of our friends over at Breckenridge Brewery. There are a lot of you who had a lot of fun with us last night at the Breckenridge Brewery Pub Crawl across a few places in lower downtown Denver, just around Coors Field, actually. Blake Street Tavern, Sports Column, and Ice House hitting those places up, drinking some Breck brews. Uh, It it was a lot of fun, so uh, I think a lot of you... Uh, followed along on Twitter even if you weren't there so wanted to make sure that we said thanks to them and also remind you that you can pick up any one of their signature beers at any liquor store pretty much they've all got Breckenridge at this point I personally prefer the vanilla porter but they've also got a great oatmeal stout the world famous avalanche the classic American amber and everyone's new favorite there was a lot going around last night was that strawberry sky Everyone's going to love it, whether you're more of a beer aficionado like me or, or if you're just into having a, a beer you don't have to think too much about while you watch the game. Either way, you're going to love the Strawberry Sky. So look for it at your local liquor store any other Breckenridge brew. You can also check out our events calendar so that you don't miss the next pub crawl on bsndenver.com. You'll be able to see all the events we have planned We'll be drinking these Breck beers at all of them. So RSVP, come out with us and have a good time. 
Let's throw it to a quick commercial break. Be back on the other side. Tucked away from the city, Raccoon Creek is your go-to golf course. Their location in Littleton provides more than just a beautiful golfing experience. They have the perfect setting for year-round events with unbelievable views. It's a fun place to golf. It's a different atmosphere. It's a really nice course and it's fast greens. They have a good crew there, so it's always in good shape. They're having uh, comedy shows. They got like this really cool fire pit in the back now. It's changed a lot. There's a whole, whole new patio that has like the best views in Colorado. I think you can just see the mountains, you see the golf course. You know, kind of like Cheers. Everybody knows your name and your handicap. That was Todd. He's been golfing at Raccoon Creek for years now, and it's his favorite golf course in the area because of the environment that they've created. Raccoon Creek has embraced technology, adding golf board rentals to their course, as well as updating their golf carts to be equipped with GPS that provides score updates of sporting events and live scoring for outings and tournaments. They also have an app where you can schedule tee times, receive happy hour specials, and stay up to date on all of their upcoming events. Download their app today and receive a free bucket of balls or check them out online at raccooncreek.com. All right, welcome back into the BSN Rockies podcast presented by The Green Solution. Patrick Lyons alongside me here at Coors Field for this segment. Uh, We're doing this one because the trade deadline has just passed, and so we wanted to give as many of our thoughts as we can on what's gone on. Really not much in the way of Rockies news. They did make a a trade, a couple of minor league pitchers that we're going to need to do a little more research on probably to to give you the best analysis of of anything that's gone on there. But it doesn't doesn't look like a huge move. It may not be one that really uh, we ever see any kind of impact for the Rockies. But technically, everyone gets to say, technically, Jeff Wright should make a move today. Absolutely. And we'll we'll actually get a chance to talk to him about this deal. Left-handed, young Lefty from Venezuela, Alfredo Garcia, who's down in Boise, spent a lot of time in 19 starts at Asheville for a AAA reliever. He's a righty named Joe Harvey. He's on the Yankees 40-man, so we'll see if there's going to be a corresponding move with that to um, kind of free up some space there. So he's, he's a player we actually could end up seeing here at Coors Field by the end of 2019. Right, and, and that could be very interesting. Obviously, the Rockies are looking for some answers in the bullpen, either for the rest of this season or going into next year, and, and I think this begins a process of throwing some opportunities, some possibilities at the wall, and uh, Mr. Harvey may be one of those, I, th- I think, in a long line of guys. They want to see what can kind of stick over the next little bit here. Uh, but other than that, it doesn't look like something could still come in late. There were a couple of big shockers that came in after the deadline had technically passed. And I want to talk mainly about one of those because while it wasn't a Rockies move, it's going to affect the Colorado Rockies future and the future of the National League West. One of the scariest pitchers in the division for the last several years, actually before he was with the Diamondbacks even because he had spent some time with the Dodgers, Zach Greinke, who other than Trevor Story, has given the Rockies absolute fits uh, over the last several years because he's very good. He gives everybody fits. Uh, he's not only moving out of the NL West, he's moving out of the NL, going to the American League, the Astros. The Rockies will see him far fewer times. Uh, and that, at the very least, has got to be, again, maybe not for the rest of this season, but going into next year, you've got to feel better in your 19 games a year against the Diamondbacks, knowing that you're... You know, this is what we do. You look at the schedule, some Diamondbacks games are coming up. What do you do? You check they're going to have to face Cranky. 
The answer to that question now is unequivocally, no, they will not. And just as soon as you think the coast is clear and you can wipe the sweat from your brow, you have to recall the fact that Colorado is going to Houston next week. So you might <laughs> not entirely. They almost yes. certainly will. And, and, you know, this year is not a NL West against the AL West. So somehow the schedule makers have decided that Houston and the Rockies are some kind of rival. So they, there could be an interleague matchup again next year. But you're absolutely right. That's, that's kind of a win for the Rockies, of course, by uh, the Diamondbacks' subtraction. Robbie Ray ends up staying uh, as far as what we've seen right now for anyone who doesn't know, certain deals can already be agreed to. Uh, they can be put into the commissioner's office. Physicals might need to be you know, faxed over, uh, emailed, what have you, and then the deal will eventually come out. So we could even get close to, the, to 3 o'clock Mountain Standard Time and still not know of a trade that's on their way. So we will keep you informed of that. Um, and, and yeah, Granky, that, that's a, a huge deal. A good haul. They gave up a, a, a lot of really quality prospects. J.B. Buskowskis, Seth Beer, Corbin Martin. So they paid a hefty price, but, you know, it, it got the job done when they, they did it for Verlander two years ago. And they're hoping uh, the addition of Granky will do the exact same thing this season. Yeah, Rockies fans who were hoping for Seth Beer because MLB Network has, had included him in one of their uh, made-up possible trades for Herman Marquez. Well, I don't think anyone wanted to let go of Herman Marquez, but a beer at Coors Field would have been fun. <laughs> but uh, that, that was never going to happen. And, of course, we didn't see any of the guys that either one of the sort of camps that people were in for the Rockies, they might sell people like me thinking maybe some of the veterans they might try to offload whether they were able to to explore those avenues or not, we don't know. But it doesn't look like anything has come to fruition. And then other people who thought, hey, shop some of your super valuable guys like a, a John Gray or a Scott Oberger or Charlie Blackman. That obviously didn't come to fruition as well. So I think there are fans out there who are breathing a big sigh of relief that the team didn't decide to blow it up. And, and I actually think on that level, my analysis is smart to not have done any of the Oberg or Blackman or, or John Gray things or get crazy and weird and, and tear things down. Uh, on the other hand, they weren't able to do any of the other types of moves that I had been very much in favor of trying to get something for McGee or Shaw or Davis or maybe even Desmond or Murphy, unless something comes in late, like you said. Um, I'd be surprised if we saw any of that. So all told... It's hard to say any differently than the Rockies stood pat here. Pat. <laughs> you, yeah, yeah. T two things on that. You know, the way you phrased it was retool rather than rebuild was, was on the money. You know, obviously there's a core here of some super quality young players and not a lot of veterans um, that you're able to get rid of. But with this deadline, you know, you, you saw a lot of the moves before today, before July 31st, and they were, you know, there were practical moves, there were sensible moves, and the contracts that the Rockies had uh, and still have that, you know, have that are backloaded here and, and are worth a lot of money, those are typically the deals you would normally see in August. You would see a team that, you know, knows they're going to go into the playoffs, believes they have a shot to go deep, and they say, you know what, fine, we will take Jake McGee and what is essentially $11.5 million dollars uh, left to him next year, next year plus, and fine, we'll take that because we're trying to win a World Series, so we'll do that. You do that on August 20th. You don't do that on July 31st. Right. So that opportunity for the Rockies is, was completely you know, washed away by uh, the new rules for this year. Uh, and two, you know, you, you got players like 
John Gray in, in particular, and of course uh, other fans and, and pundits and uh, GMs are trying to trade Herman Marquez from this team, which obviously would be foolish. But if you are going to do a potential deal like that, you do that in the offseason when you have 29 teams vying you know, for the services of a player of that quality because now you're going to get a lot more. for Look at what the Reds did this offseason and uh, acquiring all the pitchers that they did, and, and they just turn around and get Trevor Bauer last night. Well, there could be another team out there like Kansas City Royals. Who's to say that this offseason they don't decide that they want to trade away some of their prospects and they're willing to go all in on 2020? Again, 29 teams is much better than just the contenders this year if you do decide to shop those young pitchers. Yeah, there, there's a, a tug and pull here, right? The difficult balance is this time of year there are fewer teams to potentially buy your player, like you said, because it's just the contending teams really that lowers the list. But they might be a little bit more desperate because they know where they are right now. They might be a little more desperate to make that final push to go over the top. But as you were saying, we see less and less of that these days because those moves can be a, a bit of a crapshoot. And I think Jeff Breidich has shown that he's much more comfortable or confident making moves in the off season when he has all 29 other teams in baseball to deal with. Uh, like you, you said, he could maybe go and get some players he likes a little bit more out of an organization that isn't contending right now because the, the Royals aren't going to make a trade for Jake McGee right now or any other right but they might have some players that, that you'd like. You can get some other kind of deal in the off season. So it, it does appear like that's going to be the strategy here. I do think that the Rockies are going to have a very busy off season now that they didn't do much here. I think you still have to keep the pressure on, but I really don't think there's a huge difference between them trying to make some of these moves now and doing it at the end of the year. It will be a little frustrating to see down the stretch if some of these young guys can't get some playing time, uh, particularly some young relievers, uh, Tinoco, Almonte, Diaz, Estevez. I think Diaz and Estevez are going to get their innings. I'd like to see more of Tinoco and Almonte. And if you're and and if they're on the squad, they are. You got to keep throwing out Sean McGee. And and I think that's going to be a little bit frustrating for everybody to watch. But beyond that. They can address these issues, I think, in the offseason. And like you said, have more avenues open to them for possible solutions. And, you know, the team is not entirely out of it. Um, but, you know, that, that, that certainly doesn't mean you don't unload those contracts if you get an opportunity. Again, um, we'll be talking with Jeff Breidich in just a moment. We'll report out on that as soon as we get information, as soon as we finish up with that press conference. But I can imagine there just, you know, again, wasn't a market for – those players with that are backloaded on their contract. Sure, they they played well on the field, but um, you know, there there wasn't that opportunity. You know, Mark Melanson is an interesting guy because I think he had about 19 million dollars left um, due on his deal, and, and the Giants were able to find a suitor for him. Now we we don't know all the details, but it does seem like the Giants are interested or were interested in, in eating some of that contract. So uh, we'll have to ask, ask Breidich if there were certain opportunities to possibly move a Shaw or a McGee along with the fact that they would have to pay down some of that contract. So those are kind of all these different moving pieces. It's not just a player for pro prospects. There's other pieces and other um, aspects of the deal that, that have to be considered and worked out. And, and ultimately, the deal for the minor leaguers is, is the only one that the Rockies were able to get done at this deadline.
Yeah, and, and you, you sort of led me right into this last thing I want to talk about before we sign off and do go over and see what Breidich has to say. And that was just, I sent out this tweet. This has been one of the weirdest trade deadlines I can remember. And part of the reasons why I think we're looking at a, a new dynamics in Major League Baseball. I can't remember the last time we saw this many trades between teams that are contending, or at least still in it. The, the Still the weirdest one is the... Cleveland, and we, we know there are extra things going on with Trevor Bauer, but was Cleveland trading their best pitcher when they're out in front of a wild card spot to the Reds, a team that has eight teams in front of them for a wild card spot, and and major league talent going back and forth, and it's just there have been a lot of weird. There have been some that have been more traditional. This Granky one makes perfect sense in the traditional baseball sense. They get a top of the line level arm. They give up some really quality prospects that were really good major league talent for high-end potential minor league talent. That's the type of trade we're used to seeing. But major leaguer for major leaguer between two teams that both could contend this year. And, uh, you know, there, there weren't a ton of relievers that were moved. There were a lot of position players, some starting pitchers. Usually it's it's relief guys and guys trying to shore up their bullpen. So are, are there any of the trades that were made today that stick out to you as potentially weird or, or maybe even specifically an indicative of this kind of new age that we're living in where these types of trades might become more the norm. Like you were mentioning the, the Giants one today. I thought that was pretty weird. I thought the uh, A's, like the Reds acquiring Bauer and then moving out Tanner Roark to the A's. Like what, <laughs> what's happening? The GMs are definitely being a lot savvier and they're, they're looking at the value of an overall contract mixed with the player so it's again it's all of those moving pieces and it's not really just a matter of hey this player is good we should get him because it's a lot more charged than that I think you know one of the weirder ones was the three-team deal between the the Padres Cleveland and Cincinnati particularly when you look at what the Padres did they they took Fran Mil Reyes who's uh who has a Padres tattoo uh yeah. again they that, that's not a reason to hold on to a player for the rest of his career. But that guy's a real talent. I mean, he, he's an athlete. He's got 25-something home runs. Young kid. He's a beast. And they, they go out and they essentially take some major league piece. They take a prospect in Logan Allen. And they bring back uh, an even bigger prospect for the future. So that's certainly interesting. But um, kind of similar to what the, uh, the pack that the Yankees and the Rockies made with the minor leaguers is you have the Marlins and the Diamondbacks trading their top prospects. Zach Gallen, who uh, made a, a pretty big leap this year, he's still not even their top prospect, but he's in their top five. He made a big leap this year down in New Orleans. Our buddy uh, Rich Allen uh, got to see him down there a whole bunch. I'm curious to... Yeah get his scouting report on, on uh, Gallon, but he goes to the Diamondbacks, and the Diamondback gives up their top prospect, shortstop, uh, Jez Rado, Jazz Chisholm. Jazz. And uh, so kind of Derek Jeter getting uh, his future version of himself to play shortstop there. So that might be the most interesting one that we really won't see uh, entirely shake out for a couple seasons at this point. Yeah, yeah. And interestingly enough, you know, the Dodgers are clearly doing fantastically well. It's not like they had some great need, but I was surprised they didn't go after any bullpen help. They could have used some help in the pen. Um, Those are the kinds of things I was expecting to see that we didn't see some of the the major contenders, you know, go out and and get the big relief arm. But I guess maybe that's just not the way that it's done anymore. But 
it, it will be interesting to see how uh, these teams that were aggressive in making multiple moves, how it pans out for them versus some of the teams more like the Rockies. Standing close to Pat here, surveying the, the field and, and seeing what they can do in the future. A lot of teams in the in the wild card hunt, you know, did make moves. We saw uh, Milwaukee adding a couple pieces, but yeah, it is surprising that the Dodgers, uh, at least to this point, um, weren't able to uh, fortify the back of that bullpen. They did acquire Jed Jerko from the Cardinals, so that's a nice uh, little bench piece for them. He can play all around the infield, so that frees up some of their players to go to the outfield uh, once Kike Hernandez comes back. But they uh, they were just a little too precious, I think, with their top prospect. You saw them, you know, deal a couple of them, of them away last year for Manny Machado, uh, got them to the World Series, uh, which which you like to see when you make a high-profile deal like that. But they're, they're a little bit more precious with that and, and not make those deals. You know, the, the Mets kind of fall in that same category with the, with the Reds of, of a team that seems to be out of it but keeps going all in. And, you know, they've won five straight going into uh, today, Wednesday. So they're kind of, you know, benefiting from that play right now. And uh, it's, uh, it, it is a weird one. It is a weird trade deadline made all the weirder by the fact that we're not going to have any more trades uh, after today you right. can you can it, it's essentially uh players not on the 40-man roster that you know maybe have a little major league experience there's there's a loophole in there but it is so incredibly small that uh i know you and i have talked that i think drew butera might be the uh like the now, high end like the most the, blockbuster yeah. move you could make he is the the best quality not uh gucci knockoff <laughs> available in august and you know what that could be worth something, you know, because there's plenty of teams that need that that third catcher. Um, so, you know, the Rockies might not entirely be done, but uh, for all intents and purposes, uh, you can you can close up shop on on this trade deadline. Yeah. So, we will have uh, whatever comments Jeff Breidich has for us in a moment on a future podcast to talk about those. But we're going to wrap this one up for now. Thank you all so much for listening in make sure you're following us on social media at bsn rockies at drew creaseman at patrick d lines make sure you head over to bsndenvermerch.com check out all of our well merch it's pretty fantastic if you haven't subscribed to bsn denver yet you're really missing out we got a lot of fun cool stuff coming out in the next couple of weeks i know patrick is working on a story about yonder alonso that you are not going to want to miss and i've got some decent stuff coming up too you know what i talked to bud black about the strike zone a little bit of robo ump stuff so it, we got a lot of really good stuff coming up in the next couple of days perfect time to subscribe to bs in denver if you haven't yet thank you so much for listening continue to be absolutely awesome out there we will continue to be drew creaseman and patrick lyons in here and until next time we will see you at the ballpark Diamond Club Baseball has produced elite athletes for 10 years now and is even trusted by your Colorado Rockies to run their scout team program. Diamond Club is based right here in Denver, and their goal is to treat player development just like it's a minor league organization so that your child can be set up for the ultimate success. Everyone works together to make sure that everyone's getting the proper instruction that they need to help youth athletes grow and to become great ball players yet enjoy the game. That's why I have my son playing with Diamond Club because it's 
it's a great way to really show them they're, they're learning baseball the right way. That was Sean. As he mentioned, his son plays on a Diamond Club team. They offer multiple summer camps, private lessons, high school teams, and youth competitive teams. Plus, their prices are more affordable than their competition. Diamond Club has very fair price. You know, when you kind of pay and know that all fees for the tournaments, fields, uniforms, and instruction are taken care of, as well as getting access to some of the things that other programs don't offer, like entire team instruction and fitness programs, you know, the whole package to really make sure that a ball player ends up a well-rounded youth athlete. Believe us when we tell you that after experiencing the knowledge, positive attitude, work ethic, and fun that their summer camps provide, your child will want to play on one of their teams. Check out diamondclubbaseball.net today to learn more.